Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this All Things. I know it has been a while. I'm excited to share with you that I'm working on my second book. The manuscript is due in early 2021, and it's just been a doozy. It's been a hard book to write, and so I've really had to just focus my energy on that, and that has made some of my All Things episodes scarce. But I did want to weigh in today because the election is in two weeks. And, you know, there are so many voices, and I don't pretend to think that I have something better to say or even really anything to add to the conversation. But what I do know is this. I keep getting texts and phone calls and in-person conversations where we're all just still wrestling. Even though the election is two weeks out, I feel like many Christian women who I am friends with are just feeling like, what is? what are we going to do? What is going on? And I'm actually going to sit down with my ballot today or tomorrow and go ahead and um, fill it out and mail it in. And so I just thought, let me go ahead and produce on all things where I can just renew my mind and I can re- rehearse what's true, and I can give you just an idea of how I'm processing it through a Christian lens. So that's what I want to do today. But before I dive in, I just want to remind us that there is a big world out there. Sometimes I think it's so important for us to just zoom out and get an idea of what's going on around the globe. This election especially can be just so consuming of our thoughts and our energies and our emotions. But you guys, I want to remind myself and I want to remind you that the world is big and there are huge things happening around the world. Take a look at what's going on in Nigeria, what's going on in China, what's happening between Armenia and Azerbaijan. There are humans and Christians around the world who are truly suffering right now. Concentration camps in China, the unrest in Nigeria, the war happening in uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. COVID is just um, really taking a toll on Europe, especially the Czech Republic where I used to live. So it helps sometimes to zoom out and go, you know what, the election... What's happening here is not really the end-all be-all. There is a big world and there's places we need to be devoting our prayer and our energy and our knowledge and our witness as well. So do that today. Take some time reading global headlines. Okay, well, with the election coming in two weeks, how should Christians vote? I mean, I'm asking that, you're asking that, we're all wrestling with this. How should Christians vote? Well, I want to just start this conversation by affirming those of you that really care about politics. I really care about politics myself. I feel like the Lord God has given us the institutions of the family and the church and the government, and that it's good and right for us to care about how each one is carried out. It's good for us to steward our family, our churches, our government. It's good to be involved. It's one way to express our love for God and our love for neighbors and our love for others to be involved in government and politics. I don't think it's good or right for Christians to totally ignore local government and local politics or even national government. It's not good to just stick our head in the sand and pretend like it's not going on. I also don't think it's good for us to obsess over it and to put our hope and our identity and our emotions and all of our efforts and energy into politics. There's ditches on both sides. So it's good for you and me to be studying the word of God, um, having conversations with the people of God, asking the spirit of God to help us to steward this moment. Because really politics are issues of justice. And you and I, as followers of Christ, we want to see just things happen. We want to see justice carried out. And so we want to be um, living in a way where we contribute to the goodness and the justice and the peace of our communities. So I affirm your desire to be involved. We, as um, who are disciples of Jesus, are called to be salt and light. We are not called to be part partisan, and we are not called to identify with one candidate or the other overwhelmingly. We're called to identify with Christ and to be his witness in his city on a hill. So first of all, I just want to affirm your desire and say, yes, let's steward this moment. 
But the reality is you and I are finite. We are fallen. We are sinful human beings. And politics calls for great wisdom. Politics is really a wisdom issue. We are wrestling with very tough issues right now. This 2020 election, whether it's the presidential race or it's locally what's happening in your county or your city or even your state, also federal elections, things that are going on, it's these are just tough issues. We've got COVID, we've got taxes, we've got healthcare, religious freedom, international diplomacy, um, abortion, immigration, refugees, education, just dealing with so much that's happening around our country. These are wisdom issues and they are hard. They require wisdom. They require um, just a ton of study and policy and understanding. And the reality is we are finite. We are limited, sinful humans. We are creatures. We are not the creator. We have biases. We have different experiences. We have different perspectives. You and I are all, we're going to land in different places based on our experience and based on the wisdom that God gives us from above. Politics is hard. And so I think our inclination is to always think, well, I'm right. You know, I am right. I have the truth. I'm right. And you're wrong. You know, I've done the research. I've done the, I've done my homework. I've done the studying. My experience tells me this and I feel really right. But the reality is is you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. And so my encouragement to you and to me is to just take the plank, acknowledge the plank in your own eye. I want to acknowledge the plank in my own eye before I pursue the speck in my brother's eye. I want to be humble. I want to be slow to speak. I want to be slow to be angry. Again, there is no party and there is no candidate who is wholly Christian. We cannot say one man or the other, or one platform or the other, or one party or the other is the one for all Christians. We are not called to be partisan. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be Jesus, um, the city on a hill on behalf of Jesus right here, right now. So my encouragement to you is to remember that you're sinful and remember that you're not Jesus. Next, diversity in the church is a blessing. Now, I know diversity in the church can be hard. It's why so many churches are homogenous. Diversity is hard. The church of Jesus is called to have unity, but not uniformity. We are not called to be uniform like one another, but we are called to be unified. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So God's design for the church from creation on is that we would be a very diverse body. You know, you remember his covenant with Abraham, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. That speaks to diversity. And we see the diversity in the early church, the believers and the gospels and throughout the epistles, huge diversity. And then of course, we see the climactic expression of our diversity in the church in the book of Revelation where there's every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus Christ. So we are called to be diverse and we are also called to be unified. So I just want to speak a word of caution to those of you who might go to a church where everyone agrees politically, you're probably going to a church that has a truncated view of Christianity, a limited reflection of the body of Christ. There's maybe some sort of diversion of the diversity that that Jesus actually bled for. And so if you're experiencing tremendous diversity in your church, that is a good thing. And if you are not, you are probably in an echo chamber and you are the worse for it. All of us followers of Jesus need Christians around us that have different views because you and I, again, we're fallen and we're limited and we need to be awakened to our blind spots. We need other Christians with different views to sharpen us, to show us, to help us to see different people, different populations, different perspectives with different views. And so um, I know diversity is hard, but I I want to encourage you and me to dig in and to be grateful, genuinely grateful for your brothers and sisters who see this election very differently from you because they are sharpening you and they are helping you. 
Now, the world should really not look like the church. These are crazy, divided, contentious days. I mean, there are relationships not just online, but in real life that are very hard, that are tenuous, that are falling apart over politics. The church should not be this way. The church should be showing incredible unity, even across party lines, such that the world will look at us and say, wow, you guys love each other, even though you are so different. The the world should look at us and know us and recognize us by our love. They should see us speaking to one another with kindness and with humility. They should see you and me displaying a self-sacrificing love for both each other and for those outside of the church. We should be laying down our lives for one another and for those outside of our church walls. So does your church display diversity and unity? Are you eating across the table from people who don't vote like you? If not, you are missing out. And if you are, well done. I know it's hard, but let's keep going. Okay. This is a big one for me for this election. And I just want to encourage you with this. There is a difference between biblical clarity and practical application. Okay. Those are two different things, biblical clarity and practical application. To put it another way would maybe to say there's a difference between whole church issues and Christian freedom. Okay. So speaking to biblical clarity or whole church issues, these are things that we all really have to agree on. For those of us who confess Christ as our Savior and Lord, who believe that the word of God speaks truth and we want to be submit to its authority. There's things that we have to agree on. There are non-negotiables in the Bible for us who follow Christ. For example, we can all say murder is wrong. It's very clear in the word of God that murder is wrong. And so therefore every Christian must agree that abortion is wrong and that assisted suicide is wrong. We have to say this, it's not okay to come at, to, to end natural life prematurely. Life in breath is given by God. And as believers, we we condemn murder. And it's important, the, the Bible is very clear about providing care to immigrants and to refugees, to the poor, to the oppressed, to the oppressed. Every, all over the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are called to seek and to serve and to help marginalized communities. There's also very clear issues in the Bible about marriage between being between one man and one woman, about God creating men and women in his image, creating us and blessing us with our gender. So these are issues where everyone in the whole church is really called to agree. Like as a church leader, you would be concerned if there were people in your church who said, no, I don't really agree with this. I don't really think the Bible says this. You would be alarmed if there was a growing group inside your flock that didn't adhere to these. These are biblical issues. This is biblical clarity. These are places where the whole church must agree. Now, the way these things play out, these truths that we agree on, the way they play out in the real world, when it comes to practical application, when it comes to legislation, policy, and elections, it might vary. Those those can be areas of Christian freedom. These are areas where we need wisdom. And again, we are all fallen and finite. So wisdom for you may look different for wisdom for me. And that is okay. We might come to different conclusions on how to pursue these biblically clear issues practically through elections and through legislation and through the way we vote on November 3rd. And it's really not okay for anyone in the church to bind the conscience of the whole church and to say, you have to vote for this party or that, or you have to vote for this candidate or that, or you're not a Christian. It's so tempting to do that, but guys, we it's not okay to do that. It is really possible for mature, Bible-believing, faithful Christians to come to different conclusions on different candidates and policies. And to use this election as a litmus test for genuine faith is to add to the gospel. 
It is to add to the requirement of us to have faith by to be saved by grace through faith under the blood of Jesus. We do not want to add to the gospel in this election. It's a form of legalism. So don't do it. Let's stay away from doing that. Next, I just an admonishment to myself and to those listening. Let us not demonize the other side. Again, these are contentious days out in the world, both in person and online. We cannot join in. It is not okay for followers of Jesus to speak uncharitably of each other or of other people. It's not okay for us to be unkind or to be prideful or to be arrogant in the way that we speak to or about each other. We are called to be the people of God. We are called to be known by our love. Here is a sobering reality. In Germany, much of the population was either Catholic or Protestant when Hitler rose to power. And in Rwanda, only 25 years ago, much of the population was Christian when about a million Rwandans died during the hundred days of genocide. That was 25 years ago. So we're talking about two different countries on two different continents where much of the population were professed Christians. And yet horrific genocide happened in both countries. We are not above that. It is possible for us, even Christians, to so demonize the other side that we not only murder them in our hearts, but we murder them with our hands. We're not above it. Let's not think that we are. And if you find yourself hating others in your heart, know that your Lord and Savior died for that sin, and He calls it murder. So there is no room for you and I to be demonizing or othering those who disagree with us. We must be humanizing each other. It is possible for a Christian to vote Republican, and it is possible for a Christian to vote Democrat. Resist the temptation to think less of them, to think they are sinful or that they're stupid or somehow lesser than. Know that we can come to different conclusions. My encouragement, what I keep saying to myself is be strict with yourself and generous with others. I want to hold myself to a standard of being slow to anger and slow to speak and just generous. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Let others do the speaking. Let others do the talking. Be strict with myself and be generous with others. Related to this, related to resisting the temptation to demonize others is do not vote from fear. There is so much fear language circulating right now. Both political, both presidential candidates, as well as various other issues on the ballots, are, I hear so much fear language. And I see it especially, I don't know about you, I live in suburban Denver right now, but especially in my suburban community, there's so much of this. Watch out if you vote for that candidate, your way of life is going to come to an end. You know, you need to protect your way of life. You need to protect your stuff. You need to guard your stuff, guard your community. And we're being called to vote out of a scarcity mindset, this fearful mindset of just protect yourself and vote for yourself. This is the language of a culture war, but we are not called to make war on our opponents in the word of God. We are not called to make war. We are not called even to protect ourselves. Fear is what leads to hate. Fear is what led to those genocides that I just referenced. Fear is what causes us to demonize one another. And so I think we must be searching our hearts and asking, are we voting from fear? Because being fearful is a very dangerous place to be. Fear will lead you to protect yourself more than sacrificing yourself for others. Fear will cause you to seek first your kingdom rather than God's. Fear will cause you to gain the whole world, but lose your soul. 
I've heard many say for this election, you know, vote for your children, vote to protect your children. But I'm saying, let's vote to protect other people's children. Vote for the children and the grandchildren who are not like you. Consider other populations when you're voting. Don't vote from fear. So are you cultivating? Just ask yourself, do I have a spirit of peace or anxiety? Do I have a spirit of joy or of anger and hatred? Are you living as a redeemed, safe, and secure child of God, or are you striving and running around to protect yourself? I see the church on both sides of this election getting used, totally getting played, getting manipulated by both parties. Are you being used? Are you being manipulated? Do you have the voice of either candidate or of either party in your head going, you've got to protect yourself. It's this moment. Get your stuff, get your house, get your way of life and protect it. Because remember, the church and Christians shall not be partisan. Neither candidate is the candidate of all Christians. Neither party is the party of all Christians. And if you're convinced that that's true, then you are getting played. You are getting exploited. Neither candidate for president is your king. Jesus is. So on November 3rd, for the followers of Jesus, it's not about winning or losing. Our king is already firmly in place. His kingdom is already established. We have all the peace and safety and security that we need in Christ alone. It really does not matter who our president is for our well-being or for us to have an abundant life. Of course, we must steward this moment. By all means, study your ballot and vote diligently. Pray through your ballot. Seek wisdom. Be involved in this election. By all means, go for it. To the best of your ability, seek the flourishing of your town and your country when you vote, but do not put your hope there. The eternal hope that we have in Jesus frees us to bring peace here in our communities. We don't have to clamor for a human king because God is already our king. We ought to be the most free people. We ought to be the most happy people going into this election, the people who are most willing to sacrifice for others because our hope is already secure. That safety that Jesus gives us, that security that he allows to you and me, It allows us and enables us to thrive, to have an abundant life no matter who holds any seat in government, no matter what our laws are, no matter what our religious freedom is like, no matter what we do or do not have. Literally all hell can break loose across America. But for those who are in Christ, we are sealed, we are saved, and we can lay down our lives for the good of others because we will look forward to heaven. This freedom that we have in Christ ought to provoke you and me to be the most useful, the most service-oriented, the best neighbors in our communities. Let me close with this. Serve locally. By that, I mean, this election does matter and your vote is important, but what matters way more is how you're serving in your community. If the most pro-life thing you're going to do this year is to vote for the Republican party, then I just want to encourage you that is not that helpful. There are pregnancy resources centers in your community that you need to get involved in. You need to be giving your money and your time and your prayer and your support to pregnancy resource centers. That's going to be the real pro-life work. Or if the most um, refugee-oriented or immigration-oriented thing you do this year is vote for the Democrats, then I want to encourage you to go down to the refugee center in your city or the immigration center in your city and start helping with job development and teaching English and helping refugees go grocery shopping. There are many places around Denver where you can be doing that. 
We can be involved in local health clinics if our concern is healthcare. We can be involved in after-school tutoring and marginalized neighborhoods if, if education is our concern. There are myriad ways for you and me to make a significant difference in real lives, in real communities that is way more practical and useful than this election. So please put more hope and energy and effort into what you're doing in your own town than you are into this election. Some of us are going to vote Republican and some of us are going to vote Democrat. Some of us are going to vote third party and some of us are going to choose not to vote. Just speaking really personally, I want to say that a vote for either candidate and either party genuinely grieves me. You know, when I, when I look at the Democratic platform, I'm grieved by their um, lack of respect for life. I'm grieved by the drive to have um, access to abortion, to rolling back the Hyde Amendment that allows taxmere taxpayer money to fund abortions. I'm grieved by the willingness to increase assisted suicide, just the lack of respect for life, as well as gender, as well as institution of marriage. Those things grieve me in the Democratic Party, and those are big deals. But when I look at the Republican platform, I'm totally grieved by Trump's character. I'm grieved by the lack of compassionate legislation. Over the last four years, when it comes to immigration and refugees, I'm grieved by the lack of progress in abortion and in rolling back abortion across our um, Republican Party. I'm grieved by the divisive language that I'm seeing from our president in regard to racialized issues. I'm grieved by his mistreatment of women and his character. So looking at either the Republicans or the Democrats is grieves me. Either way, I am grieved. But all options, seriously, voting for Republican, voting Democrat, third party, or choosing not to vote, all of those are okay for those who walk in Jesus. All of those, can, those conclusions can be reached by applying wisdom or different polit political practicalities when it comes to the same biblical convictions. You know, my encouragement is for you to weigh them by prayer and weigh them against each other. I'm not saying all these issues are morally equivalent, some way more than others. You've got to do the work to realize, to figure out where your conscience lies when it comes to the vote. But at the end of the day, let this not be a litmus test for faith in the church. Let's be generous with each other. Let's assume the best. What I don't really see space for in the church is for any follower of Jesus to be overly prideful, overly arrogant, haughty, or unkind in their vote, to lord their vote over, the, over others or to use it as a test of faith. There is not room for followers of Jesus to exalt their candidate above our Lord, to triumph a party over the kingdom. So let's vote and love each other in such a way that on November 4th, no matter who you and I vote for, no matter what happens on November 3rd, we can still sit at the table with anyone else and enjoy a meal and enjoy real fellowship and have real joy, real peace, even a good mood, no matter what happened on election day, because that is not where we hang our hope. That is not where we put our expectations and our trust. Those are firmly planted in the eternal kingdom of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is coming back. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.